okay, well, we've had a couple really heavy series. We went kind of exactly through like the vision of Mountain View Fellowship, and then we jumped right into our belief series, and we've been kind of going through the, the elements of faith of what we believe, and for Christmas, we wanted to do kind of just a, a fun but also powerful series. So what we decided was to do a series based on um, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol called The Ghosts of Christmas. And in this, I think I should have a slide for that. Yeah, we're going to look at some, uh, what we'll, we'll call them Ghosts of Christmas. Some of the things that, that even though it's, it's a great story, some of the things that really do haunt us, especially around this time of year. And uh, Christmas Carol, everybody here is probably familiar with the Christmas Carol. There's, I think there's countless renditions of it. Um, I mean, kind of how like Christian musicians have to release a Christmas album sometime in their career. It's like required. <laughs> and then like major characters in like entertainment have to release their version of the Christmas Carol. It's like a thing. Like you have to, like the Muppets did it. Jim Carrey did it. The Smurfs did it. The list goes on. A Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse. Everybody's done a rendition of the Christmas Carol. And that's because it's a fantastic story. Even Bill Murray did a rendition of the Christmas Carol. The best of all the renditions. And it, it's a great story, though. Um, the Christmas Carol tells a story of um, Scrooge, Bah Humbug, uh, an angry man who doesn't like the joy that comes around Christmas. And, and, and the way the story goes is his partner, his business partner, dies. And, and seven years later, he's visited by his business partner's ghost. You won't find that in the Bible. It's just a story. It's fiction. But there's some great lesson there as he kind of goes back and shows Scrooge um, kind of some of the consequences of what he's been doing. And there actually is a lot of really awesome truth. But since we already did a little bit, since everybody has their own rendition of the Christmas Carol, I thought it only made sense to have the Mountain View version of the Christmas Carol. So... There was this old little jerk named Scrooge who was always like, You've been doing Christmas, he was like, So he looked at everybody was all happy and playing the Christmas spirit and like, what? That was Christmas passion. Christmas present shows up. He's all like, Finally, I guess Christmas future shows up. And it's like, I have a guess the Christmas future. So all these time traveling books, and Scrooge realized that he's a jerk. And instead of being like, ah, humble, he should be like, Merry Christmas! So he runs outside, and he's like, Merry Christmas! And he sees his nephew, and he's like, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Dirty orphans, Merry Christmas! And he's like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you go. Merry Christmas! And Tiny Tim is like, the best Christmas story ever. The end. There you go. <laughs> the end. Yeah, see, Mountain View has to have their own version. Bah humbug. <clears throat> I did my best. I've been practicing all year for that. So, or I did it this morning at four. One of the two. Uh, and I, don't, I didn't know who the characters were going to turn out to be when I put them in there. So you and my wife, weird. We're not going to move forward there. Eric, my nephew, I don't know. So we're just going to move past that, okay? But it's a great story. It's a great story of redemption. It's a story of perspective. The Christmas story, I mean, the, 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 a Christmas carol, it's a story of perspective. It's a story of a guy taking a look at his life. And I thought it would be a great opportunity for us 
to also kind of take a look like Scrooge did and, and look at our lives. And so this week, we're going to talk about the first ghost, not the ghost of Marley, but the ghost of Christmas past. And we're going to look at the ghost of Christmas past and, and kind of a biblical perspective of what it means to, to take a look back at our past. So uh, one of the cool things we do with, uh, as many of you know, we have an, a discipleship school called Uncharted that meets here uh, three times a week. And uh, at the beginning of the year, one of the things we do with Uncharted is we, we take a week off of regular studies and we do this thing called Discover Week. And in Discover Week, we, we utilize a book written by a guy named Craig Rochelle called Cazone, which is about discovering your purpose. And I remember the first time we used it, I was like, I don't really know what this is, but it looks pretty cool. And now we've done it for two years, and it's fantastic. But one of the parts of it that is really great, it, part of the journey of finding your purpose or the aim of your life, is the first thing you do is you actually take a look at your past. And, and I had never in my life taken a moment and really examined my past at such detail until I went through this little study. And what they do is they take countless little like um, um, sticky notes, countless sticky notes, as many as you need. And you start writing down every single impacting encounter or situation you've ever had in your life. Good, bad, it could be somebody that you've always looked up to, like a good mentor or mom and dad, or it could be a really bad experience, like a car crash or a death in the family. But you take a look at your life and you take as long as it takes, and you take as many sticky notes, and you literally just brainstorm, and you write down every major encounter you have in your life. And then you take a step back with all these sticky notes, and you start looking at the major ones, the big ones. And you change the color of sticky note to a different color so it kind of stands out. And what you do is you slowly start taking a step back and taking a big look at your life, specifically through the past. And the reason they do that, and it's so awesome as it, as it, as it pertains to us finding kind of our vision and purpose in life, is a lot of people have never really taken a look at their past. Um, and, and, and not just the good stuff. Sometimes when we look at our past, we only look at the good things. And then with the bad things, we, we, we choose not to look at them or, or we ignore them, we justify them, but... It's taking a look at everything that has happened and starting to realize that our past plays a huge role in our future. Whether you give it permission or not, what you've been through, the experiences of your life, often direct and drive the direction that you go in the future. And so taking a look at the past is a very healthy thing to do. Now, we're going to focus on one area of our past, and that's past mistakes. Things that we've done that we have... have the tendency to have regret in our life, things that we would go back and say, I wish I could change that one thing. Um, when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school, my English teacher, we had to write a paper, and it was based on what if you could change one thing about your life or go back and redo something, what would you do? And I remember the assignment made me so mad because, yeah, there was things I would change in my life, but you know what's funny about our lives? You can't go back and change things. And so all it did was stir up all of these emotions, regret, guilt, shame, sorrow, because you can't go back and change it. And, and, and as a Christian, you kind of look at your life and you look at your past mistakes and you say, God, what, what am I supposed to do with these? And, and in your notes, you'll notice in your notes, here's a couple things we do with our past. Here's how we deal with our past. There's probably more that you can add to the list. These are the big four that I think that most of us can agree with. When it comes to our past mistakes or things that we've done wrong, there's, there's a couple ways we deal with our past. One way is we bury it. Um, when I say bury it, I mean just pretend it's not there. You dig a hole, you stick it in there, you put dirt on top, and you move on with your life. 
The problem was with when we bury our mistakes or we bury our past, especially things that are, are major life changes for us, is uh, um, they tend to come back to life, don't they? Um, our, when we bury our past mistakes, often they take on a little bit of a zombie culture, and they come back, and they stink. And it, the, the truth about us is, is God was really brilliant when he made our minds, and we're not good at forgetting, are we? We can pretend, but ultimately we're not good at forgetting. And so for some of us, when it comes to our past mistakes, we say, don't talk about it. We're not talking about it. It didn't happen. Nope, nope, didn't happen. But you know what? Almost always it comes back. Another way is we shift blame. How do we deal with our past? Some of us will own that it happened and will remember, but it, did, it wasn't me. So it was somebody else's pro- fault. I only did that such thing because somebody else did something. Because then it takes the focus off of us and we don't have to take ownership of it. So a lot of times with our past mistakes, we just shift the blame onto somebody else and, and, and that way we're good to go. And the third way is we continually punish ourselves. From my experience, especially doing student ministry for so long, this is probably the most common one that I've seen. When we do something wrong in our lives, we think that God has made it his goal to keep us punished every day for it. Every single, we, we continually bring it up, and then every time something start, good starts happening in our lives, we would remind ourselves of something bad we've done, and we would say, well, I can't experience good things because I've done something bad. So everything has to be bad, and we continually punish ourselves. You know, you, for me, if, if you look at a lot of the um, addictions and, and brokenness that a lot of our culture suffers from, I think a lot of it comes from number three is we're continually punishing ourselves for something we did in the past. And then number four. Number four is, what do we do with our past? We honor it by trusting Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is that, that is kind of giving you an overview of what we do, but we're going to look at what it means to honor our past, even our past mistakes. How do we honor them by trusting Jesus? You know that Jesus doesn't just want you to trust him with your future, We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. You know, Jesus doesn't just want you to follow him today in the present. But Jesus, and Jesus doesn't, sometimes when we talk about forgiveness, we sometimes think that Jesus is totally wiping away our past. He's not holding us accountable for it, but what God has brought us through, even before we knew him, plays a big role in who we are. And, and we get to honor our past not ignore it, not bury it, not pretend like it didn't happen, not blame it on somebody else, and not continually beating ourselves up for it. We get to actually trust Jesus for it. So what I want you to do is I want you to open up to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. This is going to be our main passage today, 1 Timothy. And while you're turning there, when it comes to somebody, you can't find a, a typical Scrooge in the Bible, so I wasn't going to try but what you can find is you can find somebody whose past is, if anybody had the right to feel anguish and shame and beat themselves up every day about their past, it's the Apostle Paul. So we're going to look at some things that the Apostle Paul said. If, if there was ever anybody who had the right to, to punch themselves, to think they're being punished, to, to constantly try and bury what they've done in the past, it would be the Apostle Paul. Now while you're turning there, let me give you a little understanding of who the apostle paul is the apostle paul is the last of jesus's original disciples his apostles 
And he actually was originally named Saul. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, he was a religious leader. And the book of Acts tells us that he was so zealous in his hate for Christians that he was actually persecuting and and killing them. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, it says that Saul was the one who oversaw the the murder of one of Jesus' disciples. He, He was the one who said, kill that guy, and they killed him. And then this thing happened. Saul was walking on this road, and Jesus, who has already lived, died, rose from the dead, told his disciples to go into all the world. This Jesus has ascended back into heaven, and Paul's, or the, or Saul is walking on this road. And Jesus speaks to him. says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, through this, long story short, Saul starts to believe He says, you know what? Jesus is real. How do I know? Well, for starters, he just spoke to me and made me blind. And then he told me to walk to this guy and got my vision back. Big deal. Pay attention. Something's happening. So Paul now says, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus is real. I need to start trusting in Jesus. God starts calling him by a new name. He starts going by a new name called Paul. And then he went and became a missionary for Jesus' church. And in that, he ended up writing the majority of the New Testament, including all the passages we're going to read today. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, these are the words of Paul to his disciple Timothy. He says, I thank, Jesus, I, think, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, to me, shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So when he says, here's a trustworthy saying, what he's saying is he's saying, what I'm about to say you can bank your life on. Take it to the bank and cash it. This is real. He says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you think you're more of a sinner than me, let's sit down and talk about it. I'm a murderer. I was a persecutor. If there's anybody who has a checkered past, it's me. But see, Paul shows us that what we've done in the past gets to be seen through a whole different perspective and a whole different light because of Jesus Christ. And he's going to, I'm going to show you some of his words because in my mind, Paul got visited by all three ghosts in one big sitting when Jesus said, Paul, what you doing? That's enough. Stop. And he went back and it changed Paul. So for me, it makes total sense to look at when talking about the ghost of the present, the things that haunt, or the past, the things that haunt us from our past, Nobody is better to look at than the Apostle Paul. So when we trust Jesus with our past, when we, when we give Jesus our past, here's what happens. Number one, our mistakes are completely forgiven. Our mistakes are completely forgiven. Romans 8.1, you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it for you. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation which means the judge, the one who actually has the right to judge us and condemn us, which is God, because of Jesus Christ, we have nothing to be judged for. Now, now here's what this means. 
I say this a lot, but I, I hope one of you, when I die one day, I hope you guys say, remember Mike used to always say, this is the thing I want you to always say. That means that God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. Which means when you're struggling with how you see your past mistakes, when you choose to trust in Jesus and trust in the price that was paid for your sin, guess what? God's not mad. When God's not mad, it frees us up to be able to engage our king, our God. We don't have to earn our forgiveness. One of the reasons that people beat them up, beat themselves up because of their sins is because they still believe they have to make it right with God. Jesus made it right. Jesus made it right. And there's no amount of sin that could outweigh his amount of righteousness that made it right. So Jesus made it right, which means when we choose to place our trust in Jesus, God's not mad anymore. God's not mad. But what about my sins? God's not mad because we chose to place in him, our trust in him. And, and I love how he says it again to the church in Ephesus. He said, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, he said, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace that you've been saved. Not because of your works, but because of faith. Um, it is not from yourself, but it is a gift from God. Which means there's nothing we could ever do on our own to earn our forgiveness with God. All we can do is trust that Jesus took care of it. And even if your past mistakes come back and try and haunt you, you get to tell those past mistakes, look, the one that really matters, God, he doesn't see these anymore. He's not mad at me. So why am I still mad at myself over this? It's more than just forgiving yourself. It's accepting that God has forgiven you. Um, this is why I have a personal beef with uh, some Christmas songs. You know? Better not pout. You better not cry. Better not ma-ma-ma-ma. Santa's gonna send you to hell. That's kind of what I mean. That's what it sounds like. I ain't never heard that version. That's what kids hear when you sing it. You say, have you been good? Because if you haven't been good enough, guess what? Santa's gonna bring you bad things. And naturally, it's the Christmas story, and this Christmas story is about Jesus. And then we take that story and we apply it to Jesus, and we go, uh-oh, if I've been bad, Jesus is gonna do bad things to me. That story's not, that song's not theologically correct. We're forgiven. We're forgiven. And on a side note, I'm going to step over here. This is a side note from Mike. Um, don't tell your kids that if they're bad, they're, you're going to call the police. <laughs> I'm saying this on behalf of every police officer ever. Don't make your kids scared of the police. <laughs> That's all. Just don't tell them. Say, say, if you're bad, you don't get allowance or something, or you get a wooden spoon on the butt. But don't tell them that... Don't tell them that the police are going to come because then they're scared of police. Uh, I'm very close with Santa. And uh, it's not good that kids are scared of him. Okay, next one. Sorry, I had to step aside and say that one. When we trust Jesus with our past, the next thing is our failures are not fatal. Our failures are not fatal. And here's what this means. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 10, the Apostle Paul had to send a really harsh letter to the church in Corinth because they were doing some crazy stuff. And, and, and he sent this letter, and, and he, he writes back to him, and he said, I know that that caused some guilt and it caused some shame. But listen to this. He said, 
Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, our, our past comes with consequences. Um, just because, and this is kind of the reality, the logical side of my brain goes, but yeah, Jesus forgave me, but there's still consequences to what I've done. A lot of times we're living the consequences of, some, of a bad decision, a bad investment. Something in the past, we're still living and paying the price for it. And what I love about what Paul says to the church in Corinth is he says, it gave you sorrow, and that's okay. Because sorrow in itself isn't bad. Sorrow is a reminder to us. Sorrow is God reaching out and speaking to us. And I think sometimes when we talk about God removing and, and forgiving us of our past, that we forget that, that there is still a place for sorrow. There's two types of sorrow that Paul talks about here. He talks about a, a godly sorrow, and he talks about a worldly sorrow. Now, godly sorrow, he said, brings us, leads to repentance. And we're so scared of this word repentance. And don't be scared of the word repentance. Repentance just means to change your mind. That's it. We repent all the time. I ordered a bad burger the other day, and I repented, and I committed to myself to never order that burger again. <laughs> repentance just means change your mind. Repentance means I was wrong, and I'm going to change. And, and godly sorrow is when we, we say, look, God has a purpose for this sorrow right now. What is God trying to show me through this? And, and I don't mean to speak too much into this one topic, but this is really important. Because sometimes we, even as Christians, we bury our past and we think that, well, God's been, it's, it's been forgiven, so I don't have to learn from it. Godly sorrow means we learn from what happened. Godly sorrow means that we recognize what caused that sorrow. One of the beautiful things about following Jesus is he's constantly putting in our lives situations that help us realize the brokenness of sin. He constantly puts us in situations where when we trust something less than him and it doesn't work, he doesn't want us to not notice. That was a double negative. He wants you to notice. He wants you to go, man, that didn't work. Because it's never going to work. When we trust in pride or we trust in our selfishness or we trust in our lustful hearts, when we trust in our greed, when we trust anything smaller than Jesus and it doesn't work, God's saying to us sometimes through the sorrow of the decision, are you listening? Sometimes we want God to bless our idolatry and bless our brokenness and bless our greed. And then when he doesn't, we're wondering what God's doing. But I love that God says, I'm not going to bless any of those things because they're not me. And, and sin, folks, sin breaks what God created. Sin and idolatry has a consequence. People get hurt when we choose something less than Jesus. And, and godly sorrow is when we're paying attention and we say, okay, God, I didn't trust in you. I trusted in something or someone else. And this is the price. Jesus says, guess what? I'm not mad at you. I still love you. But I need you to recognize why that didn't work. So that next time, you'll trust me. And that's why godly sorrow leads to repentance, which is a change of mind. And that repentance, it says, leads to salvation. Salvation, I'm not talking about, I, I don't believe half the time Paul talks about salvation, he's not talking about heaven and hell. Most of the time when he talks about salvation, he's talking about deliverance. That's what that word means. Salvation means deliverance, like you've been set free. And godly sorrow leads to us being delivered from the chains that, that, that hold us to the world. 
to the chains that keep us stuck to sin. And repentance, when we, when we experience godly sorrow, he's saying, look, this isn't the end. This hurts. The consequences hurt. I get this hurts. But this isn't the end. And the next one. When we trust Jesus over our past, our pain has a purpose. Our pain has a purpose. This is one other passage I'm going to ask you to turn to if you have your Bibles. It's Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. If you have the Bible in front of you, I'd love for you to turn with me here. Paul's in that same chapter where he talks about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But Paul really drops a truth bomb right here. Um, read this with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me read this again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our pain has a purpose. Let me, let me break down that passage. And, and When Paul is writing this passage, he's writing to, to a people who are facing and about to face severe trials. I'm talking persecution, famine, sword. They're about to face a ton of stuff. And Paul knows that the temptation in trial is to believe that God is mad at me. The temptation in trial is to think that God has abandoned me. The temptation in trial is to think that God doesn't care. That's the temptation that comes with trial. And Paul knows this and he recognizes it. So you know what he tells the church? He says that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I mean, you read the rest of this passage, it's phenomenal, it's fantastic. Whether it's sword, peril, distress, nakedness, persecution, whatever happens, God's going to use it for good in the end. It doesn't mean it's going to feel good right now. It means that it's not pointless. And one of the great things about trusting Jesus with our past is knowing that our God, he's going to use what once was broken, what once was the devil's work. In my mind, it's, it's, I had areas in my past where I always believed the devil had his, his flag planted. And, and I would say, oh man, I really screwed up then, and that's the devil's territory. And this whole passage is Paul saying, guess what? There is no more devil territory in your life. None. Everywhere you think the devil has a flag planted, Jesus rips that up, and he throws it and plants his flag. And he takes what was once a broken situation, a broken marriage, a broken relationship, broken finances. He takes all these things that were once broken, and he uses them for good in the end. Which means no matter what we've ever been through, no matter what we've ever done in the past, Jesus is going to use it ultimately for good. No matter what. Which means if you look at, at specked, spotted, broken, dirty things that you've done in the past, what Jesus is saying, what Paul's saying in Jesus' words, he's saying that, look, even those rotten things are going to be used for good when you trust Jesus. The devil doesn't have flags planted on Jesus' people. They, they're not there. 
You are Jesus' territory when you trust Jesus. And, and when you trust Jesus and, and your life is his, even the most wretched, wicked things you've ever done are going to be used for good by God. And Paul's an example of that. Paul was a murderer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent man. And God turned him into a world changer because he trusted Jesus with his past. See, when our past comes back and tries to haunt us, when our past is reminding us of the things we've done, when our past is reminding us that there's no way that God's not mad at you or there's no way that, that he loves you or there's no way he has a plan for you, these are the promises you need to cling to. And you need to, you need to say, look, Paul made it very abundantly clear that Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Not, he didn't come to the world to save us after we became Christians, because we all know the sin stopped when you became a Christian. Yeah, it was over. Man, I haven't sinned in 11 years. We all know that's not true. He came to save and redeem and buy back from the devil even the stuff we did before we ever knew him. We serve a really, really big God. And a God who's big enough to handle your past. If you've been haunted by your past, if you've been haunted by things you've done, whether you've been burying it or deflecting blame onto someone else or justifying it, or if you've been beating yourself up over your past, maybe today's the day you stop letting that happen. Maybe today's the day you say, you know what, Jesus didn't just want my future. He asked for my past too. Not just when I started following him, but from the beginning. He wanted all of it. And the truth is, folks, when we, when we experience the pain and the sorrow from our past decisions, let that continually be a reminder to you that it, it won't work. Nothing short of Jesus will work. If you trust in anything besides Jesus, don't expect it to work. And don't ask him to make it work. The only thing that works, that brings everything back to the way we were designed, is when we trust Jesus. That's the only thing that works. So we're going to close, but um, uh, we're going to actually end with communion. If you guys, you guys ready? We're going to close with communion. Um, once a month, we take our... Uh, um, our elements together. It's the, the bread, which represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, and we take grape juice, which represents the, his blood that was spilled for us. And we do it as a church in, in unity, in union. And, and I just want, as, as they get ready to do that, I just want to make sure you know that communion is something that the church is given as a gift to come together. But if you are not familiar with communion or you're not comfortable taking communion or you have some questions about communion, I don't want you to feel like you need to take it. Um, you feel free to just let those elements, the, the bread and the juice, pass by you. Nobody's going to judge you. Uh, it's, it's just something that we do as the church to remember what Jesus has done for us. So please don't feel like you need to take communion. Um, that's, that's just want to let you know that. It, it's not how you get into the club. We get in by faith. This is just something we do as a community. So I'm going to pray for our communion real quick and close up this message. So.